The following audio is brought to you by Summerside Community Church in London, Ontario. For more information on Summerside, visit us online at www.summersidechurch.ca. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there probably one in, there's probably one in the chair in front of you. Uh, but it's important to, to, to see what this is saying and to be able to read it for yourself. Hebrews chapter 11. Last week we were talking about Abraham and how Abraham was on this faith journey and he realized that by living by faith, he was, his faith was challenged. It challenged his security. It challenged his relationships. It even challenged his logic. He was asked to do things and believe things that just didn't make sense. And in retelling the account of Abraham, the writer of Hebrews, is giving us some insight that you don't find in Genesis when you read the book of Genesis. Because Genesis tells us what these these um, early patriarchs did, but it doesn't give us a lot of insight into what they were thinking and how they were processing what they were doing. Whereas the writer of Hebrews spends more time telling us about the significance of what was happening and what they were thinking so that we can understand what it means to live by faith like they did. Now let's, let's start with verse 10 because last week I talked about the, in the section we we're looking at, there was this little insert in verse 10, which, um, is thrown in. And I said we were going to deal with that this week because it repeats some of the same themes that we're going to find in verses 13 to 16. So let me read verse 10 just to give us the context. It says, for he, talking about Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Now, the wording here indicates that it wasn't just that he was looking visually, but he was anxiously anticipating and expectantly looking forward to something. Just like you, you, you know, you would say, wow, I'm really looking for a time of rest. It's not that you're visually looking, but you're, you're anticipating something. You're longing for something. And here in verse 10, he's longing for not a city, but notice it says the city, the specific one that God had promised to him. He was looking forward to the city that had, it was a solid city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. A place he had not seen in his lifetime, but he was seeing it by faith because God promised it. Now jump down to verse 13. Here's the passage we're looking at today. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, this passage is packed with a lot of concepts. And I have to admit that very often in reading Hebrews 11, it's easy to come to this passage and sort of skim through it and say, yeah, they were looking forward to a bunch of good stuff in the future. But not really taking the time to carefully slowly go through and say, what exactly is he talking about? So I want to, I want to, I want to help you just to slow down a bit in this passage. And, and let's look at each statement to say, what is it that 
the author of Hebrews is telling us that was motivating Abraham to do. He wants us to get a glimpse of what he saw so that we too can have the same faith that he did. Remember the, the first verse in Hebrews 11? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. And we want to be able to see the things by faith that we can't see with our eyes, see visually. We can see it with our heart and our mind, but even though we can't see it with our eyes. And remember, the reason why we want to understand faith is because faith is believing that God said it, I believe it, and I act upon it. That's our simple definition of faith. And if we see it, if we understand what the future is, it's going to help us to act upon the words that God has said and believe that if that's what God has for us in the future, it changes the way we live in the present. Now, the first thing to notice in this passage <coughs> is that the author is talking to two groups of people. Look at verse 13. <coughs> verse 13 starts out all these people who now. In the context here, he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can look back at verse 9. He's talking about them. I, I don't believe he's talking about everybody he's been talking about in this chapter because he said they all died, and we know that Enoch did not die. So he's talking about the immediate context of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all these people. But then in verse 14, he, he it broadens it out to not just those people, but he says all uh, people who say such things. So he's indicating now, he said, he generalizes it to say, people like this who say, who, who believe like this. So he broadens it out to us. Now I want to, I want to let that divide the passage into two sections because verse 13 is going to show us the tension that Abraham was facing. And it's the same tension that you and I face when we choose to live by faith. Don't expect that faith is going to make life easier for you. Because there's a lot of ways in which it becomes a lot more difficult. Because it creates tensions in your life that weren't there before. And then in verses 14 and through 16, we're going to see how faith actually shapes our desires. As we have this focus, as we live in the tension, our desires are shaped and focused on what God has for us. So let's start with the tension in verse 13. Now, if you notice in verse 13, there are four phrases mentioned there in this verse that help us to understand this tension. The first phrase that we realize is that they all died. Interesting, isn't it? All these people who lived by faith, these are great men and women of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. These are the heroes of the faith. God made incredible promises to them, and they all died. In spite of their privileged position, they died. And you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You need to admit that. You need to acknowledge that. You need to, you need to live with that realization. Not to live in a morbid sense, but to recognize that life is not going to last forever. So I'm going to live today with the realization that if this is my last day, I want to do what God has called me to do today. Because tomorrow I may die. I may not die for 20 more years. But one day it's going to happen unless Christ returns. And then it doesn't matter because everything's, then everything's changed. But they all died. Second of all, we realize that they died without receiving what was promised. God never intended to give you what your heart really longs for in this life. Do you realize that? 
Your heart really longs for something. And so many people think that, you know, I'm going to, my heart, man, I just feel empty. And I, but maybe, maybe if I get more money, that's going to really feel, if I buy that thing that just, I think that thing is really going to do it for me. And you buy it. And what happens? Yeah. Maybe that thing, maybe that, maybe that experience, maybe going through, maybe marrying this person. Maybe I just need somebody in my life. It's like we have these longings that these are not longings that are going to be fulfilled in this life. They're longings that indicate that there's more to life. There's something out there that isn't a part of this life. And these people have the promise. They realized it wasn't going to be fulfilled in this life. King David who is also a hero of faith, even though he's not mentioned specifically in Hebrews 11, understood this when he wrote Psalm 17, verse verse 15. He's writing, understanding there are people that are against him, people that are attacking him. And David was one who received some great promises. And in Psalm 17, 15, he says, As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When? (laughs) It's not going to be in this life. When I awake, talking about uh, when I awake from death, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. David understood that there is a longing in his life that was not going to be satisfied in this life. He's going to have to wait until the future, until that time when he is in God's presence, when God will vindicate him. He will trust, have to wait and trust God. And you know, these people that, that Hebrews mentions, These people didn't have a bucket list because they knew that when they kicked the bucket, that's when they were going to get what they were really, really waiting for. You, you longing for some things that you, you know, you think, Oh, I got to do this before I die. You know, I get these companies send emails say, Oh, here's a place you want to put on your bucket list. That's not going to be any that great compared to eternity. That's not going to be wonderful. I want to go skydiving one day, but I'm going to, I'm not going to do it before I die. I'll I'll wait until eternity. You know, it's a little, it's like, it's like, I don't have to do it. It's okay. There are things you think that, oh, I've got to, I've got to see this vision of this place before I die because otherwise I'm going to miss it. No, you're not. Well, you may miss that, but you're going to look back at, if, if you could somehow look back, you're going to think the vision that God has for eternity, the glory of eternity, it's like, it's like, it's going to be so amazing. You say, why did I ever think that that was going to be an amazing sight? Because perfection in the new heavens and the new earth is going to be so wonderful. You're going to think that was, that was a, that wasn't anything to get excited about. So we need to have this perspective that these people died without the promise, but it was okay because they had the promise. They were still looking for it. So this faith creates this tension. We, we still die. We die without receiving the promise. And then the third thing, what they saw was only in the distance. They had this vision of what God had promised to them, but, but it, was, it wasn't close enough to put their hands on it, to feel it, to touch it, to feel it, to experience it. In Jesus' day, Jesus expressed this concept to the people that he was dealing with. And the people weren't recognizing that they were seeing the fulfillment of the promise that made to Abraham. Because when Jesus came, that was the beginning, not the beginning, it was, it was a, a huge step in the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, God had started fulfilling the promise to Abraham, but it, God sort of re- reveals it o- over time. And when Jesus came, he was coming to, to begin to bring about his kingdom. And listen to what Jesus said to the people in that day. 
For I truly tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The people in Jesus' day were beginning to see the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And he says, look, you guys have no idea. You're starting to see it. You need to, you should believe. Do you realize that you and I, with this book, have way more than Abraham had. We understand far more than any of those prophets did. Because we have the bigger picture. We have what Jesus said and what he did. And then we have Paul revealing what Jesus you know, showed to him. We have so much more. The picture is clear for us. It's right here. It's, it's in his word. We know what God has promised. We need to believe it. We need to act upon it. So these people, were they lived by faith, which caused this tension. The tension was they all died. They died without seeing the promise. They could only saw it from a distance. But the fourth thing that verse 16 tells verse 13 tells us, is they knew they didn't belong. The text says, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. It's interesting, the word admitting is the same word for witness. They were testifying. They were witnessing. They were admitting publicly admitting that they they did not belong on this earth god had made a promise to them but they no longer belonged they no longer fit in this is a hard one for many people in our day to to accept especially in our society where we live in this culture of fitting in you know if you're on any kind of social media regardless of what it is it's like you see people that are saying, oh, this is, this is cool. You need, if you want to be like this, you got to, oh, this is neat. Oh, you got to make this. You got to do this. You got to do, they have all these things. And you're, there's this pressure, this subtle pressure that if you want to fit in, you need to be like this. And for students, this is huge. Because even in class, you have a teacher telling you, if you want to fit in, it's no longer just about what you wear. When I was growing up, it was like wearing cool clothes or, you know, being cool in some sense. And today, cool, who cares about cool? It's like, the, today, if you want to fit in, then you need to believe certain things. You need to believe like we believe. You need to think this way about sexuality. You need to think this way about people, about all these different things. And the pressure is there. Society is pressuring us to fit in. These people understood they didn't fit in. And the news flash for you today, in case you didn't, you, you missed it, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't fit in. Jesus said, you're going to be, people aren't going to like you. If you're going to follow me, they're not, they're going to like you like they like me, which they didn't. So don't expect to somehow think that this world is a place that you're going to really feel a part of. And you're really going to, you know, once you follow Jesus, man, the world's going to love you. They're not. They're going to hate you. Because this world is, there's a sense in which this world is not your home. Now, I, I need to clarify that. I don't, I don't like that, that statement. Because ultimately, this world is going to be our home. Because the new, Jesus is creating the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to be living on the new earth. But this world as we know it is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And like Abraham, we're foreigners. We live like foreigners and aliens. So don't be upset if people don't like you. Don't be upset if people are mad because of what you believe. Don't hide what you believe because you think people will be upset. They will be. It's okay. 
Acknowledge yourself. Witness to the fact that we are aliens and strangers of this world. I belong to another world. I belong to Jesus and his kingdom. And his kingdom one day is going to come and change this world. So faith creates this tension. And it's okay to live with that tension. You can't avoid it. But notice that we're not left alone in the tension because because in the next verses, not only do we have this tension, but faith shapes our desires. It keeps our heart focused. Now, let me read again verse verses 14 to 16 to be able to see it. Now, as I read, there are two key words we're going to see here. The word looking and longing. Verse 14. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, faith keeps us, uh, faith shapes our desires. Now, these two words, this, these words, looking and longing, we, we can divide the, the two sections in there. First 14 verses 14 to 15, faith keeps us looking forward. Uh, the word that, that he uses here for looking is not, again, it's not physical looking. It's not seeing physically, but it's talking about the desire to have something like I'm really looking forward to something. And this is, this is what they were, what they were looking for. It's the desire this. I, I really want to experience something. It's what your heart is seeking. And it's not just a one-time event, but it's something that you are, you are waiting for. It's something that's going to happen. It's your habitual focus. You're always longing for this. Even though you're not going to experience it in this life, it's still something <clears throat> that drives you, that moves you forward. They had their heart set on wanting more than what they were seeing in this present world. Similar to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Great passage, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, there it is, that that sense of looking. Set your hearts above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Keep your, keep your focus, keep looking to the future, to what God has for you. Let that shape your motivation. Let that shape, control what you, what you consider to be important. Now, notice what he says next. Hebrews 11, verse 16. <clears throat> Instead, we are looking, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So faith not only has us, keeps us looking for it, here the word longing is there. Faith keeps us longing for our homeland. It's like longing for God's country. And for those of you, in case you're mistaken, God's country is not Alberta if you're from out west, and it's not Nova Scotia or New Brunswick if you're from out east, okay? We're talking about God's country in, in the sense that this is my true home. This is the place God designed for me to be. Do you realize that when God created the heavens and the earth and he created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, they were perfectly at home. They were with God in the place God had prepared for them. Unfortunately, they messed it all up and it's no longer their homeland. 
Now we're waiting for a new homeland. And it's like faith keeps us longing for that. Now, but, but what exactly is the longing? He's using a word here that's more than just feeling homesick. It's, it's like, it's, it's not just a feeling like I'd rather be somewhere else, but it implies I'm wanting it so bad. I'm reaching for it. I'm, I'm striving for it. I'm living for it. I'm acting in such a way that I want it and I'm working, I'm moving my life in that direction. It also implies I'm putting aside anything that's preventing me from moving in that direction. And I will, I I want it more than anything else. Now, what specifically is this homeland that we are longing for? Now, notice that in in verse 16, he mentions four descriptions, gives us four descriptions of this homeland that he's talking about. First of all, he says it's a better place or a better country. You know, there's some places on earth that some people, maybe you have a place like this. Some people think, oh, I just love this place. It's like heaven on earth. Ever hear anybody say that? Some of you probably say that about your your rickety cottage, right? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I just love getting away from everything. And I just feel like I feel so close to God here. It's a place of heaven on earth. Do you realize that the greatest experience you can ever have on the earth is nothing compared to the experience you're going to have in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. It's like we need to, we need to get this sense that, that everything on this earth is broken by sin. Everything we experience, anytime we get a, a little taste of what eternity is going to be like, it's, you need to realize it's just a tiny taste. No matter how good it feels, no matter how great you think it is, it's just a small taste compared to eternity and what we're going to experience in eternity is just going to be so amazing. We're going to think about the past as like, Whoa, that was, that was terrible compared to what we're experiencing in eternity. You know, are you hoping some, some people say I've, I've heard, I've heard people say this sometimes they're a little joking, but you know, yeah, we've got this vacation plan and I just hope Jesus doesn't come back until we go there. (laughs) Sorry, I, because it's, I'm really looking for it. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. You know, I remember when, when we were in Bible college, like people, Bible college students saying that, I, I hope I, I hope, you know, I get married before Jesus comes back. You know, it's like, it's like we, we naturally have this sense because we don't, we don't think about what the eternity is going to be like. We have no vision of what it's going to be like. And if we could somehow in our minds understand and believe that the promise of God is so much better than what we have in this sinful world in which we're living in, that we would long for that, that that would capture our hearts, that would capture our thoughts. By faith, we need to see that it's a better place. But second, it's not only a better place, he he describes it as a heavenly place. Now, that's not describing, that's not talking about its address. It's not talking about its location. It's not saying that it's a place that's, that's somewhere up in the sky. It's talking about how, that what characterizes it. Okay, we, we tend to think about space, just like we talk about, you know, the spirit is living in me. It's like, if I could just somehow, you know, if I go for surgery, they might find him. No, they, you, when, when we talk about the spirit living in us, he's, he's spiritual. He's not physical. 
And when you talk about, the, in fact, when the Bible talks about something that is spiritual, it's something that is characterized by the Spirit. So when we talk about something that is heavenly, a heavenly place, is something characterized by the life of heaven. You say, well, what's that like? Well, we get a picture of that in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the resurrected body. He says, one day your body is going to die, and if you're with Christ, you're going to be raised. And he, he describes the difference between the, the body that is buried and the body that is raised. Just like Jesus' body was buried and his body that was raised was different than his earthly body. He says we die perishable, we're raised imperishable. We're buried in dishonor, we're raised in honor. We're buried in weakness, raised in power. So this new place that we're going to is a heavenly place characterized by this new existence that, that in some ways is too hard for us to even, to even get a, get a hold of in terms of describing. It's because it's beyond our experience, but it is going to be an amazing thing. Okay. We have to, to believe that when we look at what Jesus did when he rose from the dead, his existence is like, wow, what an amazing existence. So our homeland is a better place. It's a heavenly place. And then third, notice that it's a place of God's delight. He says it's a place where God is not ashamed to be called their God. A number of years ago, Faith and I and the kids were up at Muskoka Bible Center. We had rented somebody's cottage. And um, Faith's brother was visiting from Vancouver. And he and his wife and the kids were there. And the kids were old enough. They could, I'm pretty sure we, we... told them to just, you know, play at the cottage and we we're going to go out for supper. So I said, well, let's go, let's go someplace really good, you know, really nice. I mean, here we are in Muskoka. And so we thought the deer, the Deerhurst resort. I mean, that's the place all the rich and famous go, right? So there's a, there's a place, you know, let's really splurge and have a, have a really nice dinner at the Deerhurst. So we're on vacation. So I put on a golf shirt and decent pair of pants. That's all I had. And, um, so we go to the Deerhurst and we go to the front desk and say, yeah, we're here for dinner. The guy sort of looks us up and down and says, jackets and ties are required for dinner. It's like talking about feeling like you're not accepted. (laughs) Do you ever, do you ever think that God looks you up and down and says, not you. You see what he says here? God is not ashamed. To be, to be called their God. He's not ashamed. Listen to what God says in Zephaniah to the, to the children of Israel after he had sent them into captivity because they've been, they've been knuckleheads. They've been worshiping other gods. He had to, to take them out of the land that they had promised to them after everything he had done for them. He had to send them into captivity. And, and, but now they're going to come back to the land and, and listen to what Zephaniah says, what God says through Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, you knuckleheads. He will take great delight in you. And regardless of how bad you've been, he will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. What an amazing Amazing statement that God wants to take us as sinful, the sinful people we are in spite of what we've done because of what Jesus has done for us, because of how Jesus has transformed us. 
He takes great delight over us. He is so delighted, he wants to sing over us. I say, I'm too embarrassed. No, I don't want that kind of attention. But God is just so rejoicing over us. Just like you think of a, think of a parent holding a little baby and just singing and just with a big smile on their face. It's like, oh man, I'm so proud of this kid. That's how God feels about you and me. We have a hard time with that, don't we? And yet that's part of the promise. That's part of that future that we have to look forward to. And you, and you know what? If, if I went into your house, I could, I could probably tell you what you treasure. Because, you know, we take things that we think are really precious and, you know, we either put them on a shelf somewhere and display them, you know, and protect them or or we keep them in a safe, you know, where they're going to be protected. Think about God. You are treasured by God. God considers you a special treasure and he takes great delight in you. Don't you think he cares enough about you and what you're going through in your life? And, And you don't get angry at God. He loves you. He wants what's, what's best for you. He treasures you. He takes great delight in you. He wants to sing over you. But then fourth, there's not only is it a better place and a heavenly place and a place of God's delight, he also says we have a divine city. Now, here, we naturally have a hard time relating to this thought because in our world, cities, are modern cities are noisy, they're dirty, they're busy, they're congested. I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that, that describes the city. But, you know, there was a sense, there's a, you know, it's sort of neat to go and visit the city. It's like, it's like there are a lot of cities in this world I'd love to visit. And Faith and I have had the privilege of visiting a couple of them. I think the, the ones we went to, you know, in Belfast or, or Dublin. But, you know... It, when you go to those cities, the, the best way to, to look at them is you get one of these hop-on, hop-off buses where you can go around and see all the really neat things and ignore the, the dirty, the dirty, the dark place of the city. And then once you're done, you, you leave, right? It's like, we don't think about the city as, as a place to, to look forward to or we're attracted to. But back in those days, the city was what people longed for. Cities were places that were safe. That's where the walls were. That's a, that's where if you were attacked or if somebody, if your robbers were coming, the walls were there to protect you. And the wild animals could not attack you. There are the places that had sources of drinking water, shops where you could buy food, people that you could trade with. There were industries that you could help you meet your needs. They were places that had culture and employment and entertainment. A city was a great place. And if you think about Israel, Jerusalem was on a, on a hill. And Jerusalem was the place that people longed to go to. And it was exciting to go to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where you went to worship God and you see this majestic temple. That's where, the, where you went for the big celebrations, the big, the big parties, the festivals that they had every year. The Passover and the, the Feast of Tabernacles. These were great, just the exciting times to be in, in the city and just rejoicing with people. And for God to prepare a city was a dream come true. Abraham, when he got into his, got into the land, there was no city for him. There was no place. He was still a wanderer. He was a foreigner. But God was preparing a perfect city. It would be everything that you needed, not just to survive, but to flourish. A little bit later, a couple chapters later in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 13, 14, for here it says on earth, we do not have an enduring city. 
but we're looking for the city that is to come. That's the same city Abraham was looking for. It's the same city you find in the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you this week to take, take some time to read Revelation 21, the second to last chapter, where we have this description of this holy city, the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven to earth. Okay, that's another indication that we're going to be living on the new earth. He comes out of heaven to earth and it's described in this, in this square, sort of a pyramid shape it must be with like 2200 kilometers square, like massive city. And it's a place where the, the walls of the city are jasper and it's described as being of pure gold that is as clear as glass. What is that? I, but it's just, I'd love to see it. And this whole city is big, it's solid, it's secure, it's beautiful. There's a river going through it with, with trees that produce fruit all the time. You have what you need here. And God says, I am preparing a city for you. Are you longing for that? Are you looking for it? And the best thing about this city is that God is there. And you and I, if we're in a relationship with him, we'll be at home. We will say, this is where I belong. This is where I... I don't, I don't have any longings for anywhere else. This, I'm home. This is the best place I could ever be. There's no better place than to be with God in his home. Wouldn't it be great if God could just give us a little glimpse of that? Maybe, maybe take a little field trip. Maybe if we could schedule a field trip, you know, during March break. We're, field trip. Amy wants to come. We're going to go check out the city. But God doesn't do that. But you know what God has done? He's given us a book. He's given us, he's told us, he says, you, you know more than Abraham. You get to see way more than Abraham saw. Look at, look at what I'm telling you. I'm the description that we have. I'm telling you, this is what you have to look forward to. You can look forward to it. It's true. What you need to do is to trust him. You need to live by faith and living by faith is going to put you in tension You're still going to have to die. You're not going to see it until you die. You're not going to have what you long for in this life. That's okay. There's something better. And the good news is that if you live by God's promises, accept the tension, he's going to help shape your desires. You're going to set your heart on his promises. You're going to long for something more. You're going to keep looking forward, longing for something better, your true homeland. You're going to look for a better place, a heavenly one, a place that God delights in, a perfect city. Now, we all want it to happen tomorrow, but it, it isn't. It isn't going to happen. Well, it could happen tomorrow, but not likely, unless Christ returns. But in the meantime, we need to understand it will be worth it in the end. But we still have to go through this life. Florence Chadwick, who swam from Catalina to California and didn't make it, decided to try again two months later. This time she did make it. Even though as she was swimming, just like the first time, the fog set in and she was afraid, but she made it. What made the difference? Well, she told reporters at that time that she kept a mental image of the California shoreline in her mind the entire time. She forced herself to remember her destination, her finish line, her hope. Not only did she finish in record time, she was, she enjoyed it so much. She did it two more times in her lifetime. May God help us get a vision of our homeland 
And may that motivate us to press on. Keep that. Force yourself to keep that image by sticking in God's word. By reminding yourself, this is what I have to look forward to. I'm going to keep trusting God. Because no matter what I have to go through, no matter how difficult, even though I'm a stranger in this land, even though my life is miserable at times, I'm going to keep my eyes on the future. Because God has something better for me. By faith, I'm going to believe it and I'm going to accept it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the vision that we have. And thank you for the example that Abraham set by pursuing you. Even though he didn't see it in his lifetime, he knew it was real. Help us, Father, to live in such a way that we know the future is certain. And because it is certain, it's going to change the way we live today. It's going to cause us to think about how we can serve you. Maybe, maybe going to a different country to serve you and, and maybe giving of what we have to help other missionaries around the world and help in different ways. Father, give us a broader picture and a clear picture. Help us to put aside the things that, that tempt us to turn us away from you and help us accept the fact that we are strangers and foreigners, but it's okay because we have something better to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen.